I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dungeon Deep Dive. Uh, we did the research so you don't have to. Welcome back, everyone. Yeah, it's been a fair while. We uh, haven't spoken to you properly for like a whole month. Mm. Now, first and foremost, up the top of this, I want to acknowledge that we are recording in the Mianjin land of uh, Brisbane, which is home traditionally to the Turrbal and Yagara people. They are the traditional custodians of the land and sovereignty was never ceded. Um, we'd like to pay respect to uh, Indigenous elders past, present and emerging. And uh, if you'd like to be part of the conversation, we'd love to have you. Yeah. And another big announcement. You've not... You've heard her voice. You've heard her voice in uh, a couple of our extras bits. But officially, this is the first episode from our new host, Grace Shadell. What's up? What's up? Oh, my, my, my fuck. It's Grace. <laughs> yeah, I, I go here now. Excellent. So Grace has been a uh, long-time... <laughs> long-time listener, first-time caller. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> um, Grace has been involved um, with a couple of things behind the scenes and has been on retainer for artwork that we have not yet commissioned. Well, I listened to your episodes and then I texted Lachlan and I was like, anyway, I can't believe you said this horrid thing. Here's an excellent like reference that you should put in the next one. So it was really more just like me continuously harassing you until you were like, well, there's an open spot, so you might as well come over. Wait, what horrid thing did I say? Oh, I think. Oh, I don't know. I think you you opened up episode once with like, "Ooh, what's what was this?" Oh yeah, Grace. And I was like, I you closed an episode with "Ooh, what's this?" I remember. I was editing like it. falling asleep because I listen to this sometimes as I go to bed, and I was falling asleep, and I just hear Lachlan's little voice go, "Ooh." Yeah, Grace just can't handle my raw charisma, and I think that's the main problem. It's powerful, is the word I'd use. Yucky, palpable. <laughs> so uh, today. As you've no doubt guessed from the intro, yeah. we're going to talk about castles. Exactly. So I guess I'll kick us off, shall I, folks? Please. Okay. So to begin with, we just wanted to kind of set the groundwork and just like let you guys know the, like the inner workings of a castle. Because it's important to remember that a castle is a specific invention and it was an invention that had really specific parameters because it existed for a specific reason. It was to protect someone important from like military attack. So it had to have like a few key things. Um, one of the most important things that was in a castle that you are no doubt aware of uh, is the central keep, the the Great Hall or hmm. whatever it is that you want to call it. It was actually at the time called a donjon, uh, D-O-N-J-O-N, which is a French word for like fortified 
something, fortified keep or something like that. But the phrase isn't used a lot in like contemporary writings about castles, obviously because we associate castles with dungeons. Yeah. Which actually weren't super common in castles, but I'll get to that. Um, side note on uh, the modern sort of nomen- nomenclature for castles. Um, there nomenclature. Is, I like the way you said that. Please continue. Uh, there is a lot of debate uh, among historians and among uh, geographers about what actually constitutes a castle. Um, and there is a whole ton of debate that basically boils down to some people reckon a castle should be classified by what it is um, as generally a fortified fortified residence traditionally by the nobility or upper classes. I mean, exclusively by the nobility or upper classes. Mm. No poor person has ever lived in a castle, except I guess except maybe in like a, an old ruined castle but, now. But the... Yeah, the debate rules over whether it's just by what it is, and there's a whole broad amount of them, or whether it fits a specific set of timeframes as well, which means it is strictly medieval. So when people say something is is or isn't a castle, and they're arguing that it is or isn't because it's from the medieval period, Mm. please don't listen to them. That is the official take on the podcast. The era doesn't matter as long as it serves the same purpose. Yeah, it's dumb. It feels like that attitude came from, like... Age of Empires having the castle age instead of the medieval age. Like, I, I cannot think of any other source that would legitimize thinking like that. Also absolutely racism because they don't want to count the Middle East and India as having had yeah, castles. Yeah, I was going to say um, it's the Eurocentrism. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we come across that a lot on this show. Well, yeah, what I was um, actually just about to say that like the uh, a lot of the castles that you see from the Middle East, uh, they were built in like the 1700s, 1700s, mm-hmm. sometimes some as late as the 20th century. So they're all these like, they all have all of these same components that I'm going to, and the, all these same sort of people and these whatever reasonable updates to infrastructure and like architecture and stuff there would be. Like the more recent ones probably have like plumbing in some places. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, like these places, these these castles that were built kind of more recently than the, than the Middle Ages are, the same they were built for the same reasons and well for the same like defensive reasons and they have all the same components their main difference is a lot of the more modern ones like you'll see there are some really round ones some really round castles throughout the that were built throughout the middle east in the 1700s um which is a really stark difference to the very like square shapes of the european like early castles that we Hmm. sort of immediately picture but that is really just, and as I'm, as I'm sure Tully will get into later when he talks about like the actual defences of it, mm. is really just a response to updates in military in s- technology. Yeah, exactly. You just needed to have it be rounder when you had cannons. Uh, exactly. Which, yeah, we'll talk about later. But it's otherwise, other than having to update them for the times, they're completely the same. Um, All castles are castles. All castles are valid. So, the donjon. What's in the donjon? Gang? Sounds like a character from JoJo. That's that YouTuber, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. I think so. <laughs> yes. So uh, the YouTuber Donjon down on his lower floor has this usually a big, wide open kind of common area. It would be mm. like a dining hall typically. Um, early in castles, they would have the centre of these keeps would have giant open fires, like big bonfires that would be in the middle of them, because um, castles are cold as fuck. 
the actual actually the um the walls of a castle the stones would be so thick to uh, ward off any attacks that the sunlight no matter how long it beat down on the walls just wouldn't get hot enough to cool the in- to heat up the inside of the castle during the day especially in like colder months can you so- imagine a house so cold that you had to set fire to your living room to keep it even remotely warm yeah well the worst part is it didn't make it warmer <laughs> You would have been warmer if you were right near the bonfire, but a bonfire doesn't spread heat around a large cavernous stone room, no, a it cold, just it upwards. dank room. Yeah, well, all it did really was fill the room with smoke. At the end of the day, so castles Jeez. had to be designed with like ventilation shit going up through the roof because otherwise everyone would die of smoke inhalation. Well, who doesn't love a smoky living room? I've had one for the last three weeks and it's fine. That's true. That's true. Wow. Time is a flat circle, huh? <laughs> Truly is. Uh, so, yeah. So, above these above these great keeps, uh, above these like main halls of the great keeps, you typically have um, like bed chambers and stuff, um, typically for the nobility uh, at first, at least while they were still living in like the Great Keep, some more like modern stuff, as as Grace is going to talk about when, when we talk about like the palaces and stuff. Some more modern stuff had like more buildings and everything, and would be kind of more spread out than a castle was. Castles were really, for the most part, like one building in the middle, some open space, stone walls around the outside, and the buildings built into those stone walls. Like, there wasn't a whole lot going on in the majority of castles. Maybe some places would have, like, another building or two, like a tower or something, if it was necessary. But from what I can see, from what I've, from what I've looked into, most, like, big towers and stuff, like, when you think of, like, the Tower of London and shit like that, that's, mm. like, most, like, extra buildings like that were built onto, like, palaces and stuff later. Um, mm. There you go. Yeah, castles are very utilitarian. They're very simple. Uh, and in fact, there would be all sorts of people living in a castle as well. As a result, like, it wasn't this like very. It wasn't like serious. In fact, it was pretty shitty to live in a castle. Like it was cold and dark and wet all the time because it would never get hot enough inside that like anything would ever dry out. So any like moisture would just sit there and it would just get gross. It was just it was like awful yeah, to live in. That is gross. Yeah, I, I mean, it was like a good three, two, three hundred years from the first invention of castles to the invention of a fireplace. I mean, honestly, it right now in Brisbane, it is mid-30s. And this morning when I got up, my shirt hadn't entirely dried before I went to work. Mm-hmm. And it dried in a 10-minute walk. But even then, that level of moisture was uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, imagine if you could literally never dry your shirt. Ugh. And if everything else in your room was that wet. I hate this too because, like, back then all they had was, like, natural fibres, like, cotton and wool and stuff. And if you're living in a freezing cold stone box, then you're going to be wearing your warm wool clothes in multiple layers. And if they never get dry, then, like, the feeling of that and the smell of that must have been so bad. Yeah, that's horrible. Well, that brings me to another interesting feature of castles, actually. Because... You probably wouldn't notice the smell of the wetness Why? for the smell 
of the shit. Oh, yeah. Castles were fun because these keeps, uh, these castles in general, obviously didn't have plumbing. Plumbing just simply wasn't invented at the time. So what they would do was most of the time they would just have like an open, they would have like a seat that they would sit on, just like an open hall, like a drop toilet Mm. that they would just drop out into the moat. Just drop it in the moat. And that's just there now. Yeah, forgive me if I'm wrong, but those moats are mostly still water. Definitely stagnant. All actually, all still water. You have to have it be still water. The way that it works is you funnel water from a river or from like a lake or something down a thing and then you have to dam it. Otherwise, you're going to lose the water. Yep, yep. With the um, if anything happens to like the source, if like the tides change or the 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 water the rain flow is less or whatever, then you'd lose mm-hmm. your moat and then mm-hmm. people would kill you. So mm. there it stays. I understand miasma theory now. Yeah, yeah, you can see <laughs> you can see why I, they had these theories. I get it. Yeah, you can see where they were coming from. Everything smelt so bad and everyone was dying all the time. So I can see I can see why you put those two together. Yeah, I went a little too close to the moat when the w- breeze was blowing the wrong way and suddenly I felt nauseous and I was like, uh, Guess I I'll mean? die. Fucking or- Oregon Trail icon pops up. You have dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, so castles were terrible. For everyone, for the most part, uh, the so yeah, they would have these like kind of drop toilets that would go out into the moat or like a pit. Sometimes they would have like a latrine or whatever, but typically it was out into the moat. That was kind of the easiest place to put it. Um, the nobility would stay in the in the like main keep uh, for at least a while. They that was their like main residency. They at first just stayed in like rooms because castles were castles were originally just. The keep. There was no walls. There was no nothing. It was just like a fortified, just a thick stone keep. Mm. Um, they were pretty simple at first. So uh, the nobility would just kind of hang out there. And it was pretty gross. But then as they started to develop fireplaces after a while, the pla- the castle kind of became a little bit more pleasant. It became a bit more livable as a place. Mm. And it started to kind of become a little bit more comfortable. At start least. to warm up a bit. Yeah, yeah, at, at least for the wealthy. I cannot fathom being the madman to come up with the first fireplace. Like, what if we put the fire in the wall? Like, that's, <laughs> that's good, right? Yeah. Like, usually we keep the fire away from the walls in case it catches on fire. But what if we put it in there on purpose? <laughs> fire lives in the walls now. I don't know. I mean, it worked. It, yeah. I mean, it worked. We're still it doing it today. Worked. Um, anyway, I completely lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah, so as castles started to become more, a bit more comfortable, they kind of became a little bit more interesting on the inside, uh, at least mm. if you were wealthy enough to be allowed to go to the more interesting-looking places. So they developed uh, drawing rooms and stuff after they developed fireplaces. They developed a... Yeah, so it was as these castles sort of started to become a little bit more livable, they introduced what they called like closets or wardrobes, which weren't like little storage spaces. They were like little rooms with like furniture. You would have like chairs and stuff in there. Mm. Um, and that's where like the modern term, the modern terms of phrase, uh, like about like going, being in the closet, people having like a closeted conversation that like secrecy around the, around closet imagery actually comes from the fact that closets at this time were just 
places that like the rich people in a castle would go to have like private conversations away from anyone else. It would just have like a little bit more seclusion because you've got these big, like, big thick stone walls around mm. you. So no noise is getting out anywhere. And it's one of the few places that is like closed off. That's private. There wasn't really like a concept of privacy in yeah. at this time. Like, I mean, like the um, the drop toilets and stuff would just be like lines of seats next to each other with like no barrier between them. Even if you were wealthy, um, when they were still like more simple buildings, it's pretty wild to think of the closet evolving from that to meaning just the place where you put your clothes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's re- it's really weird. Well, I guess it's just because like um, it's was probably ended up being like a de facto storage space. And mm. that's probably where um, I'd imagine walk-in wardrobes and walk-in like, closets were probably probably the predated that. It was like the transition from, mm. I imagine it being, it was probably the transition from the room to the Yeah, you'd go to meet to talk space. in the clothes room and then it mm. just became the place that had the clothes that you could walk into. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, you wouldn't have a whole lot of space in, like, a castle. So if you ended up having, like, if you were a rich person with a big fancy bed and, like, I don't know, a fancy desk or something, whatever rich castle people owned, and you also had, like, a wardrobe, like a modern-day wardrobe, an armoire, if you will, <laughs> that you wanted to store somewhere, you would probably have to store it somewhere else. And you wouldn't want to just, like, put it in some random room in the castle. That would be annoying and risky so just put in your put in your closet i mean it also makes sense if you're like living in a castle that's been your family as like clothes become more and more like not necessarily mass produced but easier to produce and Mm. you can have multiple clothes instead of like even as a rich person only having one or two nice dresses Mm. you know you fill a whole you fill up your little armoire Mm. and then you're like well I gotta go put it somewhere. Mm. Plus, a lot of these, a lot of the people that would be given castles, because castles were for the most part lived in by like the lords, the landed gentry of mm. the Middle Ages, um, and they would be given them as reparations for their loyalty to the king, mm. um, and then they would let people come and work for them in the castle, and then more broadly on the lands that the castle were on, as in return for like military protection. It's like the the classic like feudal triangle of like mutual obligations. Yeah. Um. So. The. So yeah, you would have like a lot of people of a lot of like different kind of social strata, uh, coming through a castle at any given time because the like the wealthy people would be like a family and whoever whatever guests they may happen to have had at the time, um. But then there would be. Anywhere from, with some some big castles, anywhere from like 100 to 150 just like people attending that family, just keeping things running in the castle. Yeah. Um, so they were, they, were, they were pretty busy places, though they were pretty dismal places for at least a while. Um, one of the nicer places before like fireplaces and stuff was the, uh, the solarium, which was essentially just like what became the modern day drawing room. It was like the, the sunroom. The, yeah. the it was typically the room above the like main hall of the keep. Um, it wasn't actually accessible. There wasn't like any sunlight in there. The uh, the name solarium comes from some. I think it's Latin. Uh, solar is has something to do with like privacy or silence or something like that. Oh wow! Yeah, and in fact, a lot of the solars would have little like openings in the floor, like just little ones so that the Lord and lady could sit up there in their like, cause they would often sleep in the solarium 
as well. Um, when they weren't sleeping down in like the lower parts, uh, when it was really, when there was really no way to keep a castle warm, kind of at all at their like beginning stages, people would just kind of sleep in the basement because yeah. it, it's going to suck no matter what. So at least you'll stay in like the most defensible place. Yeah. Um, but as they started to move up to like the solarium and stuff, um, they would spend a lot of time up there to get away from everyone, but also to like spy on everyone downstairs. You would like yeah, listen to the sense. conversations that went out through the, that like echoed up through the gaps and stuff. Um, some of them had like peepholes through the walls and stuff that the Lord could like go into the walls and spy on everyone. Yep. Um, it's good fun. Good fun. So other than that, once they started to realize that maybe just having a big building isn't like super defensible, they started to uh, do a couple of things. Uh, first, they built big stone walls around them, just like around the around like a part of the land that the castle was on. Um, so typically, they they'd be built on like cliffs or uh, somewhere that was like naturally a little bit easier to defend. So kind of like that flat space, the like sp- the amount of space that they had based on the like natural obstructions to build the castle was typically like that was the boundaries of the walls for the most part. Mm. Um, so it would be like the crest of a hill would have walls around it. Um, so that would give people space to like keep everything that wasn't going to fit in the castle because, again, it's really just one building. So you where are you going to put like horses? And where are your 100 servants going to stay all throughout the day as they're doing their work? Where are like merchants and carts and all sorts of things that are be coming and going from inside a castle going to go? So there has to be like this big open space. And obviously you don't want to be killed just for being near a castle. Yeah. So the walls started to make sense. So they put up these like big thick stone walls. Um, and that was kind of the first thing. But then they realized that the entry points created this like d- really defensible bottleneck, but was also really easy to get through if you managed to like overwhelm the def- the people that were defending it. Mm. Um, it's the these like openings the the openings in the walls were always obviously the biggest weak point of any castle. There has to be some way for everyone to get easily in and out. Yeah. Um, and so that's going to be exploited. So what they did was they built gatehouses, which are essentially as th- as thickly built as like stout and and with as thick walls as like the main cape would be these like kind of and they'd be these like kind of round buildings typically that would overlook like the entryway um they would if there was like a what's it called a portcullis yeah they would control it from the from the gatehouses um and they would often have like openings and stuff for like arrows um and they would have like these like big open things for like longbows and they would have like little tiny like slits to shove a crossbow through and stuff um they were yeah they were really decked out for defense it was i mean they were the last line of defense for the castle yeah uh once you got through there you just went up to the keep and you could just batter those doors down they were just doors for the most part yeah pretty much the keep was defensible I guess. Yeah, I mean, if anyone gets, if anyone breached the walls, you'd fall back to the keep. The yeah. keep is, the keep is like the last place. But really, if someone gets into your walls, you're kind of fucked. Yeah, that's the beginning of the end. Yeah, well, I mean, for most of this time, like, glass wasn't used. So they didn't even have, like, windows. It would just be, like, you just come in. Yeah. 
Did you find a find a big enough opening and just go in? Or like, it, yeah, it's really it's really easy to get into a castle once you're inside its walls. Um, so yeah, these uh, they also started building at one point. And I th- I don't know, maybe maybe you read more about this, but like these weird kind of almost like deadly obstacle courses leading up to the gatehouse. They would have like stone walls creating like a hallway or something that would be like trapped, for lack of a better word. Funnily enough, I didn't come across too much of that. Oh, I don't remember what it was called, but it was essentially just like just like a pre-gatehouse defense, just to make it harder to get to the gatehouse. Um, I don't think they were ever especially like deadly, though I do know that I read that like some of it was some of the bits of it were designed to be. Um, it was mostly just kind of like a make just like an inconvenience thing. Um, but yeah, there would be like these weird kind of like obstacle coursey like path things to make it really difficult for anyone to get up to the gate. Can you imagine just having to do tough tough mudder before (laughs) breaching a gatehouse? I was literally going to say, can we just do tough mudder except you have to wear a full suit of armour? Like <laughs> that'd be that'd be way more interesting. I want to watch Tough Mudder, but you're climbing under an electrified fence in a suit of metal armor. Everyone's mm. in just full chainmail at least. Yeah, I want to. That's what I want to see next year at the uh, like Abbey Medieval Festival. Like, I don't care about jousting anymore. Let's get a little more hardcore. It's still historically accurate, technically. <laughs> I think I saw one that had like. I don't know if it was like walls that made a hallway or if it was like a, a dug into the ground to make like a ditch kind of entryway, but it had this like kind of shallow entryway. So you'd have to like file through like one or two at a time just to get up to the gate so that everyone in the gatehouse could just like pick you off. Um, yeah. If I find pictures of it, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, so all of these things were kind of just like invented throughout time as castles needed to become more and more defended. And as people got better and better at breaching their defenses. Um, the 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 one thing that I did think was really interesting about it was that was the dungeon thing though. Yes. Because dungeons weren't really a thing in like medieval times. Like, keeping prisoners wasn't really a thing in medieval times until like the thirteen hundreds. Uh, they started taking. There was a, a monarch started taking political prisoners from like a fomenting rebellion uh, to try and kind of quash that movement. I don't think it worked though. Oops. Oopsies. Uh, but that was when they started... Uh, that was at least when I think England started taking um, political prisoners. And what they would do was, now that they had these kind of like uh, basementy areas that weren't really in use for anything other than storage, because at this point they had fireplaces invented, so they would have like more comfortable uh, rooms higher up in the castle. Things that were uh, a little bit easier to... Like harder to get to in an attack was kind of the main thing. Yeah. Uh, other than like buried deep underground, it was obviously the safest part of the castle was the top of its tower. So that was originally where they would keep prisoners if they had them. But as they sort of like started to develop like modernize castles a little bit more, as much as you can modernize a castle, I guess. And as they started to take more and more political prisoners, they started to put them in like in these basements, which then, to in some places at least, morphed into like established prison dungeon things. Um, which the main point of was that you were just abandoned. You would feel abandoned. They, it's the complete opposite, actually, of like the modern prison. Um, yeah, the modern prison really wants you to to feel watched constantly. Mm, it's um, it's the yeah, it's the like the panopticon effect. This like the psychological trick that if you feel like authority is always watching you, then you'll essentially 
be watching yourself. You're, it's like it convinces people to self-correct their behavior so that they never feel comfortable doing anything that like breaks a rule. Yeah, used a lot, uh, sort of maybe subconsciously or sub. It's kind of subverted, subverted a bit and used in schools. I mean, it's used everywhere. Uh, I was literally at the train station today and I saw a sign that said, "You were being, you were on camera." This ca- there are security cameras all over the place. Like there were big signs just saying that, just to let me know that someone could be looking at me if I had anything, if I had anything planned. So, yeah. like, is something I, that we should probably explore further and mm. something on prisons. I mean, fun drinking game. Would you rather the complete privacy of a medieval dungeon or the complete lack of privacy, but you know that you're being thought of in a panopticon? How's that a drinking game? When you play Would You Rather, isn't that normally a drinking game? I've only ever played it as a drinking game. But that's just... I mean, I guess, but then you just take, like, one shot or not take a shot and then the game's over. You're supposed to play more... You're supposed to ask... Well, do you have do you have more surveillance questions? Grace, dungeons or dragons? (laughs) (laughs) Dragons! They're sexier. I'd fuck a dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, we're learning a lot tonight. Yeah, I'm with Tully, actually. I'm thinking about it. Okay, well, you're boring anyway, and I watch Shrek too. Well, scales are gross, so take that. But the point of a dungeon, in contrast, is to make it feel like nobody cares. Mm. You're put so far underground and so on your own, or so high in the sky, if you were imprisoned 100 years earlier. Uh, that you would feel like nobody was watching you. Nobody would ever watch you. You would never be looked at ever again. Nobody cares. In fact, the, you were so shitty, the, the idea was, you were so shitty that the king actively didn't care what you did. Even if you were imprisoned in his own castle. You'd be in, you could be put in the king's dungeon and you were so low down on the social strata, that the king would lock you in his house and not even check on you. He doesn't give a shit. What the fuck are you going to do, worm? So that's castles, which is taken to its extreme with the oubliette. Oh, oh yes, you told me about the oubliettes. Which is, uh, which is the, the last and my favourite thing. I think they're fun. I to talk about with castles. I want one in my home. So an oubliette, uh, for anyone who has seen David Bowie's masterpiece of a film, Labyrinth, which is actually... <laughs> ah. David Bowie didn't make that film. Um, David, no, David Bowie, I mean, David Bowie made, made that, that film. <laughs> okay, let's be real. Hoggle made that film. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But looking at David Bowie's dick definitely kept me going through some of the, some of the, slower, some of the slower montages. <laughs> Watching David Bowie contact juggle was definitely a formative moment in my life. Oh, yeah, something... Something profound awoke in me the first time I saw that scene. That movie really scared me. Really? It really scared me. I watched Labyrinth like once a week for like four years when I was a kid. I loved that movie. I watched it when I was little and I was really scared and I watched it when I was in high school and I was like, but it's cool though, right? (laughs) To make you feel better there, the only movie that's ever given me nightmares is Gremlins. Huh. That's fair. They're nasty little guys. They're nasty little guys. Yeah, they're Yucky, pretty, naughty boys. They're pretty spooky fellows. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, anyway, oubliette. But the oubliette was, I think it's French for like forgotten, forgotten room or something along those lines. Forgotten something. Forgotten chamber, I think it was. There we are. Um, and it was literally just like a small shaft dug into the ground, a 
big enough for a person to stand up in, literally so narrow that you would have to be lowered down with a rope into it, that you couldn't bend your knees enough to sit or kneel because it was too narrow for your knees to bend, to like fold on themselves. So you would just be stuck standing there, maybe dropped food if they felt like it. But but even if they did, you probably couldn't reach it unless it landed in what oh would yeah. constitute your lap. Yeah. And then they would just, they would pull the rope up. They would close the hatch, which was just like a trap door on the top. And you're in the oubliette, baby. And that's it. That's just oubliettes. That's and they would just leave you there. And that's just what they did. Uh, there was an oubliette in, a famous oubliette in the Bastille. Uh, there was, oh, and there was a really fun one in an Irish castle that had spikes in the bottom. And when they found it, when they found it during a, uh, a renovation of the castle in, I think, like the early 20th century, uh, some workers, like, knocked down a wall and found this, like, just chamber, this, like, uh, pit dug into the ground with these spikes down the bottom. Um, and, like, three full, like, th- uh, they, you'd have, like, they put them in, like, giant sacks or something, like, three full sacks of human skeletons. Oh. Um, oh, and a pocket watch from, I shit you not, like 1875. That is too late to have died in an oubliette. Right? Could you imagine, like, growing up in 1875 and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm a modern man. Oh, woohoo. You have and a then pocket you, like, go watch. Over to someone's, yeah, you have a pocket watch. You probably, like, you've seen, like, steam engines and stuff. And then you just, like, go to a friend's house and you get into an argument and they're like, I'm going to put you in the pit. fuck that's really yeah it's just i can't even picture well i mean i I guess i can because we just do that now we 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 do it we just don't put spikes in the room i don't believe in that there's probably some places to put spikes in the room let's be real um oh that took a turn anyway oubliettes good fun Wild. Oh, the other thing is uh, that one with the spikes in it, they found records that sometimes... <laughs> I, I didn't find any reason as to why. I guess it was just when they felt like it. They would just pour water in on you. Just to make you feel... Just to make you feel extra wretched. Yeah. I don't think they even necessarily always filled it up to a point where it was like a problem, though I think sometimes they definitely did. Uh, a lot of the time, they just kind of poured it in because fuck you. <laughs> Anyway, I've, I'm like half impaled on a stick and I'm dying and I'm just like having a bad time. And someone just comes and pours a water bottle on my face. It's not going to help my situation. I'm not going to feel better. In their defense, was a hell of a lot wider than most other oubliettes. So oh, I could sit down roomy. on the spikes. Well, yeah, you the spikes were like two feet tall or something stupid like that. So you, yeah. But if the spikes weren't there... You could have sat for days. I could have. <laughs> but you couldn't because of the spikes. They would no, have, you'd, you'd have, you'd have died. Mm-mm. You'd have died if you sat down. So Grace, do you want to talk about the aesthetics of uh, castles? <sighs> yeah, I got to bring the mood up somehow. Oubliette's really got me. Um, okay, so. I'm, I went on a bit of a tangent here because castles are fun, but exceptionally practical buildings and so therefore not often very good to look at or the look of them really was an afterthought or a sort of accident 
in terms of designing things that were able to be fortified. Yeah, they're, they're very utilitarian. Yeah. Mm. Plus, there's also a bit of overlap here in terms of like castles and palaces so when you think about castles and you're picturing like beautiful like beautiful palaces that are gorgeous and full of gold and mirrors and all that sort of stuff like that is probably technically a castle but it's also a palace yeah, because mo- most castles, when you think of like Middle Ages castles, uh, mm. like the only things I left out of the uh, out of my explanation of what's in a castle is like the pantry and shit and like the kitchen, like yeah. they were they, they were nothing. They were yeah. completely unglamorous. They were bleak. Yeah. yeah. So depending on where in the timeline you have your castle, it's probably either super practical or after it got past the point where castles were like necessary fortifications because either you know the country had become so big that the castles were less of a target or because weapons had just surpassed them and having a castle was like i've got one but technically they could just shoot a cannon at me mm. Mm. um then they became more of sort of like shows of wealth and privilege and power um mm. so a castle is technically a fortified and architecturally protected building usually for royalty or the military so that's mm. just like it's a building it's protected it's a castle. And then you've got a palace, which is considered just a grand residence. So that doesn't necessarily have to have a moat or anything. It just has to be a big, cool building that someone important lives in. Yeah. Um, so I decided to talk about this mostly just because there's such a broad overlap between these two that depending on the vibe you're going for, you can sort of lean into either one. Mm. Um, so Unless, of course, you have very well-developed firearms in your thing. Yeah. Yeah. If... <laughs> if you have very well-developed firearms, you probably don't want, like, a nice, pretty chateau. You want something that's a little beefier. Well, I uh, no. I mean, if you had really well-developed firearms, you would just have a chateau. I suppose so, because, like, a, a beefy castle's not going to do anything. Yeah, you'd be better off having a shit ton of windows that you could put people with guns in where nobody would know what room you were in. Because sure. if you have... Um, you could, because they could make, and they did try to make castles that could withstand like cannon fire, but the walls had to be so much thicker than regular castles that the amount of land that you would have to build one of these houses just wasn't enough for like there to be enough floor space. It was space. Just so yeah. impractical. It was so, well, it was, it was so cramped. It was yeah. just tiny in there. Um, well, the first types of castle, because like the different types of castles are very much in terms of like the weaponry and stuff um, and sort of like a practical building. And then they sort of evolve in their purpose. So you've got the like most basic, like this is baby's first castle and it's a Martin Bailey. So it's basically just a really small castle. You got your hill. Sometimes it's man-made. Sometimes it was just already there. So you got a building on a hill with a fence around it and a moat. They're really quick to put up. They're really easy to defend, and usually that was, like, the first step in establishing yourself in an area. Yeah. Um, that was, like, the first thing you did. Um, and then if that managed to survive long enough, then you'd build a stone keep, which is, like, the classic castle, I guess. You've got tall guarded walls and a keep that protect the smaller internal buildings. Sometimes, most of the time, actually, it had a moat. Um, or it was built in, like, like Lachlan said, a strategically cool place that was easy to defend, like riversides and hills and cliffs and just sort of what made it difficult to get to so you could easily defend. Mm. Yeah. Uh, for for reference, for anyone who's trying to picture the difference between a Mott and Bailey and a castle, um, if anyone's played the, the Witcher 3... The first place I don't remember the name of the the name of the of the keep, but it's the place where the bloody baron lives. Um, it's just like this like kind of squat like wooden fort on a hill with mm. like a 
spiked curtain wall around it. Um, and that's kind of like the aesthetic difference, the like visual yeah. difference between. Yeah. A Mott and Bailey often started out just made of wood because it was just like, I want to get this up as soon as possible so I can stay here. And sometimes they'd, they'd build it up a little more and add some more stone fortifications and more like hefty buildings. But a lot of the time they were just basic, like, I want this up now. Mm. Um, and then if your stone keep managed to stay around long enough and you became important enough that you needed bigger buildings and better defences, you ended up with a concentric castle, which was like a super elaborate building where it was you had an outer moat, a, a big, uh, tall, like, stone fences and walls that were all guarded, often with the gatehouse and all sorts of extra fortifications. And then you had another wall inside that and then you had your stone keep and all your smaller buildings. And it sort of like built its way out as it needed more and more defences. Um, and it's, yeah, they're sort of like the oldest, sort of like trees. You can sort of count how old they are <laughs> by counting the rings yeah. as you go outwards. You can also, this is the sort of... Um I mean, one of the biggest ideas of the trope is buzzing, say, in uh, Avatar. Exactly. But um, this is also uh, measures of class. It's where you lived basically did mm. dictate what class you were or yeah. vice versa because you had the keep, which had the royalty uh, or the, the nobility and whoever was living there. And then in the outer area surrounding that, so between the keep and the first set of walls, were the people who immediately served the nobility. Um, they would be, you know, your knights, your servants, that sort of stuff. Um and then the next layer out would be the people who served the people in the first ring and then continuing so on. on. So on. Yeah, it's like there's a joke somewhere about like social circles or something. <laughs> um, it's uh, The name of the place I was thinking of was Crow's Perch, by the way. It's a similar similar to Barsing Zay with the walls. It's like a similarly exaggerated version of like a Mott and Bailey. Mm. Um, yeah, so basically what I thought I'd do was I'd sort of run through a couple of different examples of castles from around the world just to give you an idea of how different people have approached a castle slash palace um, because even though they are all very similar in their design in the sense that they are all protective buildings and therefore have like stone and walls and all that sort of stuff that because, you know, no matter where you are in the world, uh, you can keep an arrow from hitting you the same way, which yeah. is normally to put something between you and it. Um, that is a pretty smart way to, to defend against an arrow. I mean, it's what I'd do if someone shot an arrow at me. Yeah, that explains a lot of my arrow wounds, actually. <laughs> I need to rethink my strats. I Yeah, I'd go back to the drawing board on that one. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to go to the hospital first to get these arrows out of me. But uh, Finish the episode first. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you're right, you're right. I wouldn't want to yeah. be disrespectful to the Priorities. audience. Priorities. Um, I have some blood left. It's fine. You only need a little bit. <laughs> it's like your liver. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Which is fortunate because I did lose most of my liver as well. That to the crossbow bolt. Yeah, well. It was uh, to the three crossbow bolts. Tully. Oh, sorry. The other two are under the table. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we just can't yeah. see them. Well, they went all the way through. <laughs> I carry them as a memento. <laughs> this was like a week ago. I'm... So concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so concerned. Okay, so um, like places like Egypt and Japan had palaces that were sort of, you still had your walled defences, you still had people guarding the palaces, um, but it was less about the height and the, the, um, the strength of the walls and more about the sort of intricate buildings that worked their way um, closer and closer to the main buildings. So you had... Um, very highly designed buildings and highly designed courtyards and stuff that sort of work their way inwards, which is, um, I was talking to Lachlan about this a while ago, about where that imagery of 
of ninjas and stuff running across rooftops because that's what you had to do if you wanted to get anywhere. If you wanted to sneak your way into a palace that was surrounded by smaller courtyards and buildings that all linked up, you had to run across rooftops because guards would be in below you. Mm. And if we're talking like feudal Japan, then Mm. those guards are likely samurai and you probably don't want to get too close to them. So the so the rooftops have the added benefit of being yeah. f- very much far away from sword length. <laughs> so much true. further than sword distance away. That is true. Um, so I think Tully was talking about this earlier in terms of like Middle Eastern castles, just due to the fact that the Eurocentric uh, sort of approach of history over the years means that there's not a lot of like stuff out there on Middle Eastern castles except for the ones that are still standing and in which case they're not in great shape um, because Mm. a lot of the people that were doing all the sorts of um, historical um, restoration and stuff just didn't want to. They weren't interested in it or they'd taken anything of worth already. Um, But there's a lot of evidence to suggest that some of the (laughs) earliest castles and there's some, some ridiculously old castles that have been in the Middle East for just so long that they're barely more than foundations now that they can sort of look at and extrapolate what they could have been but these old ones are sort of just shadows of what they once were now Mm. yeah um so you've got indian palaces um that seem to to lean very heavily towards fountains and pools and large windows and light as their aesthetic they have these like very airy open areas um which i guess makes sense for their climate you don't want a very closed in environment if you're in an indian summer i assume yeah Mm. having been an indian winter that's hot enough yeah, I want I want some like cool pools that I can dip my feet in when it's hot, and some big windows or something that I can get some breeze in because uh, the humidity sounds really bad. Mm, and I imagine on like hot days, the light like reflecting off of a, of a off of a massive pool would be really disorienting if you were on the ground. But if you're yeah. like a couple hundred meters away on the top of the actual building, then you'd could probably just like pick people off really easily from yeah because they would just wouldn't even be able to see you properly yeah yeah I hadn't even considered that as a defensive thing mm. Mm. well because that's the thing all of these places even the palaces uh, are, are all built specifically to be defended uh, I mean even like modern like rich chateaus and stuff would be mm. to to some extent but they're just built to be protected like a modern house is built to be protected against like snipers and I don't know like someone fucking with the electricity and shit like that. Whereas, like, a palace would be to to hold off, like, riflemen Mm. or, like, crossbowmen. Mm. Um, The French like to get complicated with theirs. Of course Uh, they do. Yep. So they split theirs in between uh, between palaces, which are always built in urban places, so they're sort of in the centre of towns and cities. They're the sort of important centre point of of a larger town. Um, and then you've got the chateaus, which are always more rural, and they were sort of like the classic idea of you know the aristocracy would live there and sort of lord over the the surrounding farming areas. It's where they would go to summer. Yes, that was their summer home. Um, it was always you know they were very pretty. They were always tended more towards um, showing wealth and beauty, and 
they were far less well defended. They sort of just did the bare minimum defences and really lent on the um, the size of the lands around them and number of guards to sort of protect them, um, which was great when you had lots of money and lots of land. Not great when it turned out to be very easy for angry peasants to break into your home. Yeah, I, I imagine you'd probably avoid your summer chateau in like times of strife. Probably doesn't seem like the place you want to be. Yeah, look, in times of strife, I don't really want uh, sort of my peasants to see me holidaying <laughs> while they toil. Um, so originally, it's not even the Palace of Versailles. Uh, that is just what us silly Westerners call it. It's the Chateau de Versailles, and it is the uh, the Louvre that is the palace. Mm. Uh, the Louvre used to be quite a central building in um, in France. It was sort of their parliament house sort of thing. Um, it used to have a lot of defences, but sort of as the city grew to meet the Louvre and the urban area around it got built up, eventually they just pulled down the, um, the walls and the fortifications and they were just like, okay, we don't need this anymore. It's just a town now. Well, they also cut the heads off of everyone that lived inside, so they... So yeah. they probably won't get in a whole lot of use out of those walls anymore. Yeah, that's fair. That's true. Um, uh, though it used to be an actual castle. It was the yeah. Louvre before it was like a the palace that we know it as now was just like a, a small, like was like a stone keep with like stone walls. Yeah. That, like pretty much all of that was torn down to build the like modern palace. Mm-hmm. And then fucking... Uh, Louis and the dimensions of that got <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> then Louis VIII was like, hey, look at this cool Renaissance palace. What if I make it twice as big right now while I'm king? Yeah. Um, People didn't like that. No. Yeah. If you look at the architecture of the Louvre, you can sort of see where it used to be a proper castle and you can see where the walls would mm. have been and you can see where the, the main building itself would have connected to more defences and stuff. But they just took it away and they were like, oh, we don't want it anymore. Um, now it's just for fun. That extra wing, I think, is especially funny, though, as well, because um, just cause <laughs> I was just thinking about it, uh, because it was identical to the other one. It was literally, like, mirrored. It was beautiful. What happened to artistic integrity? He just copied <laughs> it. Just get your own. Um, but anyway, most of the castles that we picture when we're thinking of castles are probably European just because of sort of the prevalence of European castles in popular culture and stuff. Um, so the tall spires and the big walls and the lavish courtyards are all very European. Um, and I do have some good examples of these like classic castles. Yes. Um, so there is the Schwerin Palace in Germany. Uh, which is supposed to be what the Cinderella castle is based on. It's got these like pale, um, these pale walls and these little blue spires and they've got, um, it's on an island and it's got big gardens and you have to go on a little boat over to it. It's got a big, um, it's got one big tower with a little uh, like pointy roof on top. It's literally what you picture when you think of a fairy tale castle, um, but it sort of has these little intricate um little intricate windows and carvings all over the outside of the outside of the building um that make it very uh detailed obviously because i guess whoever was building it at the time uh wanted that wanted to sort of show off a little more wealth 
Mm. They were like, this yeah. is going to be protective, but it's on an island, so I might just throw a little more money into the uh, look of it instead of the protective defences. Yeah, I really like looking at all of the, the ones on, like, cliff sides and, like, mm. on islands and stuff because they always they always made them so much more intricate. Oh, and all of the later ones as well, after mm-hmm. they'd, like, worked out how to make the kind of still while they didn't have guns and they'd kind of, like, perfected the system so they could just get wacky with it. Yes, well... If you like castles built on cliffs, I have another one for you. It is called, uh, where is it? The Alcazar of Segovia. Ooh. It is pale stone walls, like little pointy roofs. It has a big wall all around it, and it is built on the ridge of a mountain. Either side is cliff. It is at the fork of a river. Uh, so it is perfectly defended from is almost every angle except the front door. Is this... Is this Dracula's castle? This is not Dracula's castle. I have Dracula's castle up here. It's called the Corvin Castle. Um, And I will talk about that now, if you like. Dracula. Look, technically speaking, they don't actually know if it's Dracula's castle because there's so many in Transylvania that are all like, ooh, cool gothic castles. But this is the one that uh, the author visited at one point. So they think that even if this isn't it, it's one of the defining features of what he writes the about. The Dracula mythos. Yeah, this is used in, this castle exactly is used in a lot of video games and other sorts of illustrations of the Dracula castle because it fits mm. so many of the points he talks about in the book. Um, uh, one of the one of the weird ones on this castle specifically that you don't see on like a whole lot of them is that like down the cliffside is like built, for a lot of it is like built wall with like windows and stuff in it. Mm. Um, which is uh, just like because a weird note of, about the architecture of Dracula's castle is that uh, at one point the main character like looks out of a window and sees Dracula crawl out of a window on like a lower floor at like the sheer cliff face and then like turns into a bat and flies off. It's just like such a weird like specific detail of this that's clearly uh, at least inspired in part by this castle. Mm. Um, this castle has like red spired like roofs. It has a bridge that connects from the main part of town, sort of across a gully that a river flows through, and it is the only real entry point unless you want to go through, go up quite a steep hill or through some wacky gardens out the back. And yeah, the castle rises up right to the edge of the cliff, and so you can sort of see where the building ends and the cliff starts, and it's just a drop. It's just a straight line up and down this cliff. Um, And as you get sort of closer to the top of the castle, there's actually these little, um, I don't know what they're called, little windows that sort of hang off the edge of the building over the cliff. And I cannot fathom standing in one of those and looking down. It'd be terrifying, especially considering, you know, how old it is. I'm like, oh, my God, it's just going to collapse on me. I'm just going to fall out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, Um, even those gardens out the back, like to the untrained eye, just look like spooky woods. Yeah, um, and they are all, because that's one of the main places where I guess you could come through, it's all walled at the back. Mm. Huge walls, you've got forest, walls, spooky, unkept garden, and then a horrifying castle with red ceilings and (laughs) for most of its life that people know it as was in ruin. Um, it was only recently sort of done up so that people come visit it um, for hundreds of years. It was falling into ruin actively sort of breaking. For the second time, I believe. Yeah. It's because it was it was originally, like it was a, 
like a lord's house or it was originally a royal residence and then the royal residence moved and then it moved back and they were like, the king was like, man, this place is a fucking shithole. Yes, it was a former keep built by Charles I of Hungary Um, and then it was sort of handed down to various Mm. lords and ladies and whoever else until it, I guess, just sort of didn't have anyone. Yeah, ended up Um, back in the king's hands. Yeah, and Um, just didn't use it. Well, then the king moved in and did some massive renovations. Yeah. Um, So it's all fixed up now. It looks gorgeous. It looks spooky. It's got this sort of like gothic look, like the classic gothic castle you think of is this. Mm. It really is. It's really cool. Definitely recommend looking at it. Um, Yeah, so that's really all I have about the sort of looks and aesthetics and how that plays into the, the practical side of castles. Beautiful. Well, uh, in that case, I'm going to talk pretty quickly about how to actually lay siege to a castle. Because we keep talking about these buildings being as defended, they're fortified. The reason for them is to be protected. So, <laughs> This is pro-castle propaganda. What, what are they protecting against? Uh, and to be fair, at the beginning, um, it was pretty hard to lay siege to a castle. When they first started figuring out this technology, just these enormous stone walls, it's pretty hard to get through. Mm. Um, and then, it was kind of foolproof at one point. Yeah, exactly. It was it was almost entirely foolproof. And then every time, every time that people would start figuring out how to lay siege to a castle, castle technology just got better. Mm. Um, it really it really puts into perspective how like the development of these things is so directly just like people interacting with each other and trying to like f- do things day to day. Like, it was, like, this thing that we imagine as, like, the staple of the Middle Ages was just, was really just, like, over built over hundreds and hundreds of years. It was just, like, people kept trying to think of ways to kill each other. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm going to talk just briefly about the, the really broad architectural features that meant uh, castles were defended which is, as we've mentioned before, there was the keep, which is that main fortified area. Um, And as we've mentioned before, it's kind of the last line of defence. If all else fails, everybody piles into the keep. Um, Then there's the the Mott and Bailey, which is sort of that design of having essentially the Mott being a raised area, kind of like a hill. Uh, As Grace has said before, sometimes they're man-made, sometimes they were a hill that existed before. Um, Just to build on that, though... Sometimes they will uh, create the mot and then build the keep on top. Sometimes they'll build the keep and then push a little bit of earth around it. Um, sometimes they will actually create a, a mot around the whole keep. So the keep is underground and the whole keep is a hill. Hobbit castles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I have... I don't know where I'm putting it in the world yet, but for, for my game, I I do have one of these planned. That's, That's really so cool. That's so good, especially because it's in the desert. Exactly. Oh, what's that place? What's that place in the outback where they just all live underground? Oh, Cooper so Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, I've taken some inspiration from that for somewhere else, actually. 
Um, this is all stuff that you'll get to know eventually. Just hints and hints and hints. It's it's funny to imagine though, because like people out in the people out in Kupapiti live underground because it's really hot and uninhabitable. Whereas in castles, they sometimes had to live underground because people were just so dang determined to shoot them in the <laughs> head with arrows. <laughs> they actually wouldn't that have made the whole problem about the sort of smoke inhalation and the cold even worse. Oh, yep. almost they definitely. They were so desperate to not get shot. They were like, "Look, if I'm gonna have a flu all year because I'm constantly." freezing i'll do it um, fucking living that trench foot life <laughs> <laughs> but at least it is a life yeah i don't get shot by a i don't get shot by an arrow but i do die of the common cold <laughs> um uh, so essentially yeah the mod sometimes goes just around the whole keep which is nuts um and the the mod is often surrounded by just like a palisade which is a stake wall Mm-hmm. Um, which, as you described, is from its sort of improvised, easily defensible background. Mm, it was because it literally is just like giant wooden stakes that were just sharpened to a point at either end and driven into the ground. Yep. Um, but then you got slightly more defen- uh, defences in there with the, the bailey and the onciente. So the bailey is just a fortified enclosure. So the onciente <laughs> is the, the main wall and... All Oncientes are Baileys, but not all Baileys are Oncientes. So the Baileys are just the internal defensive walls. Okay. Wait, so what's an Onciente? That is the main defensible wall. That's the last... Oh, it's the outer wall. Yeah, it's, it's the, the outer big, wall. Okay. It's the big boy wall. Yeah, it's the big boy wall. Um, and essentially, yeah, they, as we mentioned, this sort of ringed city idea does play into those... Is part of the reason for the tropes of having the lower class in the outer ring moving into the nobility in the keep. Because it... That's where it comes from. Mm. Though, uh, to be fair, a lot of castles were fairly like democratic, at least in terms of at least early ones in terms of their like living situations. A, a lot of the time, you would find that it wasn't until they started to develop those like really, especially like private rooms for the nobility, which was pretty mm. pretty late in like the castles timeline um the peasantry would just kind of live in the keep yeah and just like regular rooms like everyone else that is also i mean part of the reason you will have multiple baileys is because Mm. it's been a very old castle and it's just kept expanding constantly yeah yeah so it's like yeah i i just think it's i think it's interesting to note that it wasn't originally just like this is where poor people go it was like no this was more by circumstance than anything Mm. else like I'm not going to get into modern day sociology. We can talk about that on on another episode or on every episode. Um, Then you've got the curtain wall, which is pretty similar to to the Onsente. It's just a different description. And this is a really thick wall with skirting to protect from undermining, which I'll talk about later. And it's got towers to allow enfilading fire, which I'm also going to talk about later. Yay. Don't worry. We'll get there soon. I'm just putting bookmarks in all of my notes here that you've got to get back to. Fantastic. Um, then, as, as Lachlan mentioned earlier, we've got our gatehouses, uh, which were essentially both the most defensible part and the easiest to break in. Mm. So they became basically where all the battles happened until cannons. Until cannons were introduced, the gatehouse was basically where you broke in. Yeah, you couldn't really get in any other way. Um, then there's the moats. These get really, really fucking big. And really yucky. I mean, picture what you think a moat around a castle looks like now. Double it in width. Double it again. And just for the hell of it, probably double it again. And still some moats are not that 
Uh, bigger than that. Well, just think about it. The bigger the moat, the longer it takes for it to become 90% human shit. Yes. Also, you say that, but I mean, during a siege, you could have up to like 1,500 knights inside the castle walls. I don't think any body of water is going to stay less than 90% human shit for more than an afternoon. That's Um, true. And in that era... Half the people probably had dysentery. So that's right? like immediately doubled the amount of shit that's going in that moat. Imagine yeah. your moat with a thousand medieval shits in it a day. <laughs> no. Absolutely insane. All they ate was fucking gruel and beer. Oh, God. I'm going to puke. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, these moats were designed basically so that invading forces couldn't just march up to the walls. Um, it helped to avoid... Well, it helped to avoid siege both going underneath and over the castle walls. Mm. Um, It was actually a very, very effective defence mechanism, um, more so than you could probably ever really imagine before looking into it. Yeah, yeah. because, I mean, even if it's just a shallow moat, you don't need much water because all you're really doing is trying to stop people from digging under the walls and it's just going to fill with water if they try. And you can't bring any machinery into it and that's about it. Yeah, because all your your siege fucking stuff gets stuck. Can't break into my castle if you can't touch it. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, honestly. You don't want your ladders to smell like my shit, do you? (laughs) No one's going to swim across when they know what's in your moat and they will know what's in it because they can smell it. So, like, it's like a weird biological, psychological warfare as well as very practical. Mm. And then, finally, you've just got your, your battlements, which are, you know, being above the uh, the walls, walking across the walls mm. and being able to actually defend the tops of the walls. And then arrow slits, which pr- are pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. It's just what's in the name. Um, you want to get arrows out there, but you still want wall. So, yeah. <laughs> So, essentially, there are three ways to get through castle defences. We're going to take the bear hunt approach, uh, which is uh, we can go over it, we can go under it, or we can go through it. So... It's uh, a catchy song and Yeah, honestly. It's the best way to organise this argument, Lachlan. I don't know why you're laughing. Look, what do you mean you don't know why I'm laughing? Fucking, because this sounds dumb. <laughs> I don't know. Personally, it's what I used to think of to remember what I can do to break into a castle on the occasion that I break into a castle. When you break into your next castle, you're going to remember this. No, look, it's a good strategy, and I guess I'm, th- I guess I'm thinking more about it. And I was, it felt dumb because it feels like a little childish for siege warfare. But they were going out to kill a bear, and the book does end with the bear breaking into their home to try and kill them. So. Yeah. Maybe it is tonally appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on, Dolly. I take it back. <laughs> so, um, what you could do to go uh, to get over it essentially is there's one strategy. It's called escalade, which is basically which is French for learning to fly. You basically have ladders. <laughs> it's ladders. Um, so, a lot of the time, it was just an over overwhelming amount of ladders that people <laughs> would climb up and. Whoever was on the battlements had to swat them down. Um, that was about it. Now, there is an interesting siege machine in China. They had scaling ladders. Just imagine, you know, how you've got your fireman's ladders that kind of telescope? Imagine that, but three times as wide. 
<laughs> and there's like 40 dudes with long swords on it. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say like, huh, people people climbing up a ladder single file, like stand on the top with a, with a bow and arrow, easy peasy. And then you said, make it three times wider. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. I want some buddies with me. I need yeah. three bows and arrows. Because um, even then, if you had a ladder that wide, if you could have a ladder that could hold three people abreast, it wouldn't even matter if if you if it was like built into a machine. That's way too heavy for you to move. Yeah, that's just there. You yeah. got like fourteen dudes fucking climbing up this ladder. You're not gonna push this ladder. Fuck you. It's, it, exactly. And so the the ways to defend against this were, as you've mentioned, arrows. Uh, it was pretty easy if there if there were enough archers. And you really didn't need that many archers, like one for every two ladders that are coming up mm. in their single file. You just you just shoot them. What was that? How many people, how many archers did they defend that castle with from like uh-huh, two yes. sieges? There was two sieges successfully defending a castle with 37 archers. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it the same 37? It was the same 37 archers. <laughs> what defended legends. This. Yeah. I really hope they got paid well for that. I Surely. really hope, I really hope someone looked at that and was like, hey, it, that's really impressive. It really doesn't take that many archers to properly defend a castle. Um, but then also if people are climbing up ladders towards the top of your castle walls, uh, well, you can push the ladders down if they're small enough. Uh, that's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, the bigger your moat, the harder it is to get a ladder in it and the more likely it is to sink. And then yeah, there's... Eventually, eventually you just... The moat's so wide, you'd need to get stairs and that's just impractical. <laughs> Who has the time? Um, yeah, then there's mots, obviously. <laughs> if you've got your hills, then it's harder to... Yeah, if everything's on a hill, it's really hard to get a ladder that goes not only up the hill, but also up the wall on the hill. Yeah, fuck. I'm just imagining a castle, like, on the edge of a cliff, like, surrounded by forest. And at first, like, nobody can get to it. And they just watch as slowly the forest disappears as they build, like, a the world's biggest staircase. <laughs> and you're just, like, sitting there counting the days as they build this staircase for months. And the forest slowly recedes. And you're like, fuck, November's going to be weird. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, guys. <laughs> it's like... It's like an opposite Trojan horse. You yeah. know they are coming and you know exactly how they're getting in. <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. Um, now, usually as this form of defence wouldn't happen in European castles just because oil was so expensive. But in the Middle East and Northern Africa, oil was a very good defence tool. Mm. Um, it burned really quickly. It was slippery. It was... Fairly abundant, so you didn't need to worry too much about the resource cost. And by God, could it get rid of uh, people on ladders? Well, yeah. I don't know if anyone, if anyone at home is familiar with oil, but it gets hot. Yeah, yeah, pretty hot. Yeah. Um, uh, the other fun thing, the thing that I really like about oil, and I guess it probably wasn't super commonly actually done, was using them in the murder holes oh, between, yeah. in the in the <laughs> oh, gateways. No. So this is something. Um, that has that is a part of the gatehouses. Usually there were holes in the roofs so you could see from the battlements down into the gatehouse. Now, these are referred to as the murder holes, and in a lot of fantasy literature you see boiling oil being poured down into there. Mm. This did happen uh, in the Middle East and Northern Africa, although still fairly rare. Um, a lot more, more of the time it, they were used for death from above by archers or just boiling water. 
Yeah, well, because even in even in like medieval castles, a lot of them would have at a certain point two portcullises, so you could like trap someone in this like little entryway under the walls, and then you could like it probably wouldn't happen very often. They probably weren't stupid enough to to, to put that many people there that often mm. without like countering that somehow. But then you could just like do whatever you want. You just they're just they're surrounded by metal like these steel bars yep. that aren't going anywhere. Just fucking drop whatever you want on them. Yeah. Um and then as far as trying to defend yourself from people climbing up ladders, you've got the higher ground. You can just hack and slash them down. Oh yeah. It's pretty easy to defend against somebody who still needs one of their hands, still needs three points of contact to stay on the ladder. They're at a disadvantage trying to attack you. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, never thought about it. But maybe fighting people when you're on a ladder and they're not is a bad idea. Yeah. Weird. Um, so if you can't go over it, um, we can try going under it. it. This sounds really wacky and like some weird subterfuge, but it was surprisingly common. A lot of castle defences are built specifically to avoid what's known as undermining. Mm. In fact, it's probably only... We probably only picture it as such an uncommon thing because by the end of the castle age, when we have what we consider as a castle, it was just too tricky to undermine it so people didn't talk about it anymore. Yeah, but the fact is, all those technologies were built to avoid undermining. Just because it was that common. (laughs) Um, And essentially, yeah, it was just dig under the walls and invade from there. Uh, But there was an even better uh, solution here, which is you could dig just under the walls and then continue to dig under the walls, and then eventually burn down the scaffolding in your tunnels and just collapse the walls. Mm. That's a good move. Yeah, it's the Gondor effect. It's just (laughs) blow up that one structural weakness underneath, and part of the wall just goes falling down. God, I bet that would make the moat way more navigable as well, to just have, like, giant bits of stone just sitting around in there. Did I say Gondor? That's Helm's Deep. The Helm's Deep... Could have just could have just gone with it. I wouldn't have noticed. Anyway, you're a nerd. Yeah, yes. fuck you, Tolly. No um, nerds on this podcast. No <laughs> fantasy shits for geeks. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, how do you defend against somebody just digging under your walls? Uh, and essentially, there are not that many ways, but they are very effective. So the first one, if you hadn't built defenses against this, uh, is something called counter digging, which is essentially if somebody's trying to dig under. Uh, you dig from inside and meet their tunnel and then you can catch them unawares in melee combat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can, can you imagine you're just like digging this giant tunnel and all of a sudden you like hear a noise and a sword just like comes out of the wall in front of you, skewers your mate. <laughs> I just go home. Yeah, pretty See much. See again? No, the, the, even the ground's on their side. <laughs> yeah, it's, and essentially it was to take what was going to be a, a siege into an ambush against them. mm and, yeah, that was pretty easy. Um, otherwise, you could build skirting um, so that the, the wider the wall, the harder it is to dig under the wall. But realistically, the most, offensive, the most effective defense against undermining was moats because you can't dig under a body of water. It just, it's so hard. It's just not going to happen. You're just going to collapse it constantly. It's not. It's honestly. It's honestly just not worth the effort at that point. Because especially considering how much shit, literal shit, was in the moat, like you'd just be killing every engineer you sent down there. Absolutely. And you probably don't have a whole lot of very qualified siege engineers on your team. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm pretty sure it's still a tough engineering problem today to dig underwater. Mm, yeah, that it's definitely like a peacetime project for sure. Yeah. Um, and so essentially, if if the castle's fairly well defended, you can't go over it because they've got people on the battlements and they've got a moat that makes it hard to get your ladders up there. I will say, though, with the moat thing, just... Quickly, it's not entirely unconceivable, to be fair, because some sieges did last, like, years. Oh, yeah. So there were there would be some battles where you would be able to embark on such a complicated infrastructure project if you kept it secret from the enemy without them knowing for literal months, if not years. But you've got to think of how far, how deep you have to dig in order for your tunnel not to collapse mm. under the weight of all that water. Yeah, if you wanted to put that in, like, your D&D campaign, then that would be, like, the party shows up at a siege that's been going on for two and a half years, and this is already there. There's got to be magic involved to keep that from from essentially collapsing. I mean, not necessarily. It, not if you're in a society that has, like, tar... Yeah, but then it's the pressures that come from around as well. I well, mean, water seepage is going to do a lot of the damage for you. Yeah, but uh, but like medieval, but like fantasy blacksmithing is like way better than medieval blacksmithing. So they'd be able to use like metal supports and stuff. So at least like I the suppose. tunnel wouldn't collapse; it would just be It'll wet, just slowly fill with water. Yeah, shit water. So yeah. like, have fun with it. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like making a drainage system is is easier. Anyway, than we're we're getting way off topic. Now. Anyway, so the last way to get through is is through it. You've got to go through the battlements. You've got to go through that gatehouse. Uh, and so if you're storming the castle, unless you've got siege weapons, which are essentially your things like your catapults, your um, trebuchets, if you've got your giant battering rams, or once gunpowder becomes widely accessible, cannons, then essentially you have to just storm the castle walls on foot which means they can use uh, a thing called enfilading fire, uh, enfilading fire, sorry, uh, which is where the archers just fire straight down the line of people and they just hit one after the other after the other without really having to aim. Mm. And they could, and you just get enough archers that you just have continuous volleys of arrows coming up anywhere near the gatehouse and yeah, fucking it, what are they going to do? 37 arrows, arches. I guess. <laughs> 37 archers, you've got enough time to reload and swap out and you can just keep taking out people. Yeah. The only other way to get through a castle is break down the fucking walls. Mm. Uh, And without siege machinery, that's really tough. Uh, I think that's the topic for another episode, uh, siege warfare. Yeah, we should definitely do that as like its own thing. There's Mm. a a whole lot of like specific complexities with that. Yeah, but that's essentially sieging a castle and why it was so hard. Mm. Okay, and with that, we're going to leave you for just a moment and we'll return with something. Who knows? And we're back. Um, so in the break, uh, we chat a little bit about some some ideas for like a story hook that involves castles, and we didn't actually come up with anything. So that's the episode. See you guys. Bye. No. Okay. So we did come up with something. So yeah. So what we came up with was uh, the more the most interesting thing about castles, I think, in terms of a like a, a, a an event in a game is definitely going to be a siege. Um, so picture this. The party arrives at the site of a 
fairly simple siege, just like blocking off supplies into the castle, starving them out style siege. Like, we're talking old school. Um, but they have been, the reason that they've been so quiet around the outside is because they've been channeling all of their resources and their effort into over the last couple of years that this siege has been going on. Because castles would have supplies that would last them for fucking forever. Um, over the last couple of years, <laughs> I also read that some people would eat leather belts before they surrendered in a siege. They would literally just eat all the belts. Yep. Time's got rough. So it's basically just jerky anyway. That's true. That's true. You got me there. I, I mean, I skin versus muscle. I, I dare say there's a little more protein in the muscle. No, you'd be surprised. <laughs> you say that with such conviction. I know. So the party arrives and they've been doing, they've been channeling their resources. And the reason things seem so quiet on the outside is because they've been doing, again, like this really complicated tunneling project to get like under the moats. And the party arrives, the, they're the outsiders sent in to, to make this, to lead this charge. The, the experts, the adventurers. And they find themselves, as they get through the last little bit of this tunnel, and they, they bring down, they manage to tunnel through, maybe there's like a, a bit of like a stone wall for like an underground, an underground chamber or something that they break through. And they find themselves in a small shaft, just a narrow stone shaft. What could it be? Well, they've just found themselves in a bloody oubliette. <gasps> oh, no. Mm. And so as the party kind of explores, as they, as they get through, you can come up with some simplified way for it to, to make it easier for them to tunnel through this place. Just, I don't know, spread, forgo time for a little bit. Yeah. It's fine. Um, and as they start to get further and further through, they notice that at first it seems like they're, Prisoners on the outside, maybe some, you see like some tattered clothes of like some servants, maybe you see like some knights or whatever that, that maybe look like they've been beaten in combat. Maybe they were maybe like beaten in like trial by combat and sentenced to the oubliette, stuff like that. Mm. Um, but then as you get closer, you notice that there are some recent bodies in these, in these little chambers that all wear the sigil of the Lord you thought you were besieging until finally you get into the middle of this weird network of, of dungeons and catacombs and oubliettes and bodies, and you find the Lord himself <gasps> starved to death in his own dungeon. Oh, no. Something spooky is afoot. Yeah, this really sets the scene for all sorts of... Very, uh, very interesting political machinations. Mm. Well, because, yeah, because other than maybe the occasional envoy that was sent out for communication, like, if you were inside the castle during a siege, you wouldn't want to be seen. You wouldn't go anywhere near the walls. Someone would just shoot you with an arrow. You'd just die. So, like, nobody would have contact with these with these nobles and stuff that were being besieged. And a lot can happen in two years. It's very interesting to think of different ways that, something could have overthrown uh, an existing ruler in the middle of a siege and then take over siege defence. Yeah. Uh, how'd, how'd they get in? How'd they overpower the people already within who are already on lookout for suspicious activity? There's all sorts of like... Yeah, because this is... Yeah, because that's the thing. This is a defended castle and an, an uh, and a besieging army that they've managed to get past somehow. It's a sign of a pretty powerful enemy you've made. And there we are. That's the podcast, folks. 
Yeah, well, we've done a dungeon, so uh, if we do a dragon next week, we can be done and dusted, yeah? Yeah, yeah I think, I, yeah, I get one episode and then you finally finish the podcast. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go home now. Well, yep. it's it's part of the grand finale, <laughs> you say. Yeah, you just brought me in to say goodbye. It's part of the spectacle. I'm fine with it. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening uh, and for making it to the end of another uh, gloriously long episode. <laughs> Uh, hopefully it will have lost a little bit of length by the time it reaches your ear holes. Probably not, though. I've edited these things in the past and, like, man, do we talk. <laughs> we talk a lot. Anyway, uh, we would love it if you got in touch with us. That's uh, at Dungeon Deep Dive on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. and Or you can email us at deepdivetnc at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you, yeah, no, matter, no matter what you have to say. We'd love to hear um, if you have any constructive feedback, things that you'd like to change, suggestions, if you'd like to be on the show, uh, or even if you've used a little bit of what we've done in your games, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, what we'll do is uh, we'll continue to release episodes every Wednesday and we'll be a little, more, little bit more active on the socials on, as Lachlan mentioned, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, if you ever see... I cannot stress this enough. If you ever see an episode that is not released on Wednesday, throw away your phone. It's too late for you. It's too late for any of us. I'm Morgan Phillips and I'm a human. And I'm Isabella Vallette and I'm also a human. But I was raised by fairies and now I'm taking my human friend Morgan in to meet all of the mythological creatures that I know. Every Sunday we meet a new mythological creature and interview them about their life in a modern day context. Such as... The Night King from Game of Thrones. Funicula, the friendly vampire brother of Dracula. We've met the Loch Ness Monster. Santa. The Volpertinga. The Devil. And a Mermaid. And many more. We release all our interviews as a podcast called Off of the Fairies where we interview a new mythological creature every week living in a modern day world come join us save big money on your outdoor project now at menards we have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat right now all fvp lawn and garden and marine batteries are on sale through may 5th check out our entire selection of fvp batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save.